0: Hello and welcome to What the Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who, oddly enough, has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive into all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. I have decided to start a new series of interviewing people slash providers in the birth world and basically anybody who's like a resource for pregnancy and for parenthood. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast. Elizabeth is here to talk about newborn sleep and more importantly, how to maximize your sleep with a newborn. Elizabeth is a member of the Association of Professional Sleep Consultants and is a certified sleep baby sleep consultant. She has been a professional sleep consultant for over five years and has worked with hundreds of families around the globe. She is the founder of Sleep Baby, an infant and children's sleep consulting company. Her goal in her practice is to provide the tools parents need to teach their babies to sleep on their own all night and find a routine that works for you. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I'm super excited to hear all about what you do. Thanks for having me. So let's start off. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family.
1: Okay. Awesome. So I'm Elizabeth. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina with my husband, Ryan, and we have three boys. They are seven about to be five and about to be three. So it is really wild at my house all the time, especially now
0: that most of them are home most of the time. Yeah, that's awesome. So how did you get into infant sleep consulting? Yeah, it is
1: a great question. It's kind of a crazy story. I just started Started, when I had my first son, I knew that I was going to be really worried about the sleep, that I was going to be worried about not getting enough sleep. And I wasn't sure how my husband and I were going to function without it. So I did all the reading and research and classes, everything I could to try to make sure I could get good sleep with the newborn. And that went okay. But as I kind of found my way as a new mom, it got better and better. And I started to be just that friend that all my friends would reach out to and ask about sleep. Then I heard that sleep consulting was actually a job. So I started to look into it. I got a little bit interested. My husband said, everyone is always texting you, you know, you should pursue this. And one of the things I found about sleep consulting is that it can be really, really pricey. I think it's a great service. Obviously, I feel like it's very valuable, but I also remember that feeling. I um, quit my job to stay home when I was a first time mom, and I remember that feeling of, feeling helpless or just stressed out and also that we just lost half our income and trying to balance both of those things. And so I saw an opportunity to be able to really help moms in an area that I'm passionate about and trying to keep prices reasonable because they are moms who cannot afford a traditional sleep consult who still are stressed out and need rest. So I decided to pursue that as a business. I had been helping friends for a few years when I decided to just go out on my own and make a website and put myself out there. I met with a lot of doctors and other people in the field, did a lot of research before I got started, Um, and then I started taking clients when my second son was a few months old. It was terrible timing, but it's grown from there. And now I have five other sleep consultants who work with me and um, we're across the U S and it's just been really exciting and fun. We all feel super passionate about helping parents just get rest and also be able to enjoy their babies as their family grows.
0: I love that you took a problem that you had yourself and then turned it into a kind of a passion. And now you've grown it to literally serve hundreds of families all over the place. So sleep baby, how long have you had that company sleep baby?
1: Yeah. So I started sleep baby, um, about five years ago. So I was kind of doing it unofficially before then. And then about five years ago, I was like, all right, we're going for, we're going for it. And, um, that has turned into about one year in, I brought on my first team member. And so we've just grown from there,
0: um, which has been really exciting. That's awesome. And you guys provide in-person care, like in the Charlotte area. And then you guys also do virtual care, right? Yes. So we actually
1: do the majority of our consults are virtual. We'll do over Zoom or over the phone. We have worked with families all over the world. Um we have consultants, several in the Southeast, and we have one in Colorado. Um, anywhere that we have someone, we'll do in-person consults where we will come to your house and really work with you and help you hands on. But anywhere else we work with people over the phone. Um our consults we have, the first meeting is like usually an hour or thirty minute long phone call. And then we have um, unlimited texting and email with our families afterwards. Um, so they can answer, ask questions. We can answer questions. Um, it kind of goes from there for us to be able to keep helping them. It's not just a one time, one phone call and you're done.
0: Awesome. So that basically answers my next question. Is there anything else I was going to ask kind of like what the whole process of working with you looks like as far as, um, getting newborn on a sleep schedule, but I feel like we kind of touched on it there. Is there anything else that it involves?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing um, with the consults is that it's a two-way street. So we are gonna meet with the parents and talk with them about what the steps are to get their baby sleeping well, whether they're a newborn or a three-year-old. We're gonna walk them through everything and we're gonna give them all the tools. And then it's mom and dad's job to take all those tools and teach the baby even in our in-home we're just there in the very beginning Um, and so over the two weeks that we are usually working together it's a parent's job to kind of partner with us they're doing the work we're giving them the support and cheering them on kind of like their personal cheerleader
0: awesome and what is the like age range because I know you I know you guys obviously work a lot with newborns but you also Mm -hmm. just said three-year-olds so what would you what is like the typical and even like the most common age range that you feel like parents contact you at
1: Yeah, I think most of our babies are under a year. Usually it's in the first year that parents are reaching out to us. And then we get another big group of parents, you know, around 18 months to two and a half years with some toddler sleep problems, or they were hoping the baby would eventually sleep through the night and they still haven't two years in. So those are kind of our two largest um, groups. We work with families with kids up till five years old, but most of them, I would say, are three and under with the majority being one and under.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. So let's just go ahead and jump into some listener questions that I got. So the first question was, how can you help your baby to fall asleep on their own? And this person who specifically asked this said that their baby freaks out whenever she puts her down at night, like she's specifically said, she sounds like she's being tortured. And then sometimes just ends up like passing out eventually. So what would you say for how can um, this girl help her baby to fall asleep on her own? Yeah, this is such a loaded
1: question. There is a very different answer for every baby, depending on the child, depending on their age. But one of the big things, whenever I hear of a baby who is really, really upset, a lot of times that is related to being overtired. For babies, sleep begets sleep. And if you ever hear us or follow us on Instagram or anything like that, we talk about it all the time. The more they sleep during the day, the better they're going to sleep at night. And a lot of the time, if you have a baby who's really, really upset, at bedtime, it's because they're overtired, either their bedtimes too late, or they didn't get enough daytime sleep. And so they're, they're in that I'm so tired that I'm not tired
0: feeling. Awesome. Okay, so the next question, what do you recommend doing from the very beginning? And I know this is kind of like a more vague question. But I guess if you could give like some very practical tips to do from the very beginning of having a newborn to try to help with your sleep, what would you say those would be?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question because if you have, a, if you're a parent and you're looking for a true no-crying sleep training approach, the best way and really the only way to guarantee it is to start from the beginning. So I love parents who want to be prepared. Um, one of the best things you can do for your baby to help their sleep in the beginning is actually really focus on full feeds. A baby who's full is going to be able to sleep really well. They're also not going to be as fussy. Um, a baby who gets great specific full feeds rather than snacking all day long, you're going to see a lot better sleep pattern related to that too, which is important. So I tell parents, you know, focus on full feeds right away. And then I also really like to encourage them to follow an eat awake sleep pattern. It, the two things go hand in hand, but eat awake sleep describes kind of the activity pattern of their day. So they eat, then they have their awake time, and then they go to sleep rather than eating and then going to sleep or nursing or feeding to sleep Um, because falling asleep is not a sign that baby is full. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it means they're full, but more often than not, it just means that they are snuggled up with mom or dad or someone else and they are comfortable and cozy and so they fall asleep Um, and they're not getting those full feeds. And if they don't get a full feed, they'll likely wake up again after just a short little snooze instead of that full nap. Um, Eating right before they go down also creates a really, really strong sleep association for babies. And they're going to need that in order to continue sleeping. Um, I like to describe a sleep association as it's kind of like your pillow. If you were to fall asleep and your pillow fell on the floor, you would reach over, get it, put it back on the bed to go back to sleep. Babies can't do that if their sleep association is, you know, being nursing with mom. They need mom to come back every sleep cycle in order to help them get back to sleep. So eat awake sleep and those full feeds. And then the other big thing, especially with a newborn, is not keeping them up too long. Like I mentioned, the overtiredness. um, When babies stay up too long, they have a really hard time getting to sleep and staying asleep. For a newborn, their awake time is probably only going to be 30 to 45 minutes, and that includes their feed. So if they nurse for 30 minutes and then you change your diaper and burp them and they've been awake for 40 minutes, it's probably about time for them to go to sleep. Really watch their sleepy signs. And if you do that in the first couple of weeks, you are going to be golden as your baby develops their sleeping abilities. You're going to have set them up for awesome sleep.
0: That's awesome advice. That's even, I didn't even um, know that whole eat awake, it was eat awake sleep. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Cause even we, sometimes in the hospital, I mean, we teach them to, we teach new moms, you know, breastfeed until baby falls, like not until necessarily, but you know, breastfeed and then when baby falls asleep, we'll transfer baby to the bassinet. But that's, that's good advice that you said about, you know, making sure that they're getting a full feed because I do find then, and you know, I only, most of our women are only there for, you know, two to three days. But honestly, now that I'm really thinking about it, some of those babies, when you go to put them down, they just freak out. And then the minute they're back on mom, they're back asleep. And it's like, you just said, they, they they're training themselves to only fall asleep when they have that comfort of mom there yeah, and
1: it's, it's gonna happen, right? I mean, I have had three babies who I breastfed, and they all had times where they fell asleep nursing. In the beginning, those babies are so sleepy, but I really encourage parents wake up, wake the baby up, look for fullness signs, look for the baby to pull off themselves or to kind of move their head to push a bottle away, really work on getting good full feeds. Um, and they may fall asleep two minutes after you're done, or you may notice they stop actively nursing and they're kind of sitting there for a few minutes and then they fall asleep. And you just learn, you know, when they're done and when to burp them and then transition to sleep. And as they get older and they have more distinct awake time, this becomes even more important.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So the next question, what are the best swaddles for sleep? Oh, good question. We actually have been doing um, a feature on our Instagram with our
1: favorite things since Christmas is coming up. And um, so we just talked about this and my favorite swaddle is the Ollie swaddle um it is made with velcro and the material is kind of like leggings is the best way that you can describe it so if you think about how your leggings kind of keep everything in place this swaddle helps you get the baby really tight which is awesome i also always recommend just having some of those big muslin swaddle blankets um there are going to be times some babies really prefer a lighter swaddle um and then there's times especially during the day where you just want to swaddle them up in one of those big blankets just like they do at the hospital and they're great to have around. Um, Those are my two favorites, but there's another one called the Swaddle Me that is really great and super affordable. Um, I have also used it with my kids. It also has Velcro and is pretty easy to use. Um, So
0: I always kept that as my backup swaddle. And kind of going off of that, Another listener had a question on how many layers should you put your baby to sleep in as far as like for temperature regulation and everything, just one swaddle or a shirt and a swaddle and a hat. What do you recommend normally for sleep?
1: Yeah, great question. So I typically on an average baby, average weather and everything like that, I would say put them in some footed pajamas and then a swaddle on top. The swaddle is like their blanket. So if you think about the way that you're sleeping and the number of covers that you have on and the pajamas that you're wearing. You want to think about your baby is probably feeling similarly. Newborns do have trouble regulating their temperature, as you know. So we want to make sure that they're warm. I had two boys born in the winter, and I often put them in a hat for sleeping. Or you can put little socks or a onesie under their um, pajamas and then the swaddle on top. But I usually say just one swaddle blanket. Most of them are pretty warm. And then a regular pajamas underneath. And you also want to make sure that your house isn't too cold. A lot of us as adults love sleeping in the cold because you can put a lot of covers on, but baby doesn't have that luxury. They don't have a lot of covers. So you want to make sure that their room typically is between 68 and 72 degrees, and that will help them be comfortable.
0: Awesome. And what about this snoo? what do you think about this snoo? that, um, the little bassinet that kind of rocks baby back to sleep, I guess you would say, what is your take on that?
1: Oh yeah, we know about the snoo. Um, So what the snoo is, there is a a guy, his name is Dr. Harvey Karp. He wrote a book, I think in the 80s, um, called The Happiest Baby on the Block. And I actually read this before I had my son. It is a great book. He has theories about the fourth trimester. It's like a lot of what he talks about and helping your baby adjust to life outside of the womb by mimicking some of the conditions in the womb. And we really encourage moms to use his soothing technique, which is called the five S's. We send them videos about how to do it. It is amazing. And the Snoo is made to do those five S's for you. So the five S's are swaddle side or stomach position. So you're holding them. You're not laying them on their stomach. You're holding them in your arms um, on their side or on their stomach, shushing in their ear, swaying and suck using a pacifier. The Snoo is made to do all of those for you. So it holds the baby in their swaddle. They can't roll over. It had the louder baby cries, the more it will rock side to side, the louder it has a built-in sound machine, the louder it will get. Um, That is how this new works. It is $1,200, which is amazing that the company is able to sell that. But I know a lot of people it's not an option for. Um, I think you can rent them now, but it is definitely a luxury baby item. They are really cool. And like I said, I love the five S's, but we are working with more and more families who have a hard time getting their child out of the snoo. Between four and six months, usually it's about time to get them out of there. And it can be really difficult because that baby has learned that when they're sleeping, they're rocking or they're moving. And it has a weaning mode, but it doesn't always work for every baby. So um, I encourage parents. I tell them, I think that I can teach you to get your baby sleeping better or just as well as they would have in the snoo in a couple of weeks for a lot less money. Um, you can work on really good sleep without it, um, and you will not have the difficulties transitioning out of the snoo that a lot of families do. Um, the other good thing about not using the snoo is I think that you get to learn your baby's cues a little bit more earlier on. And it's a lot easier to handle a newborn cry than it is to handle a six month old baby's cry. And it's easier to soothe them when their needs are pretty obvious. And so I like to encourage parents to really work on getting to know what soothes and settles your baby that you can do in the beginning rather than using the snoo.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I definitely think it is super cool. Like you said, I mean, it does all those five S's for you. It's awesome technology. But it is extremely expensive. And a lot of people, I think they they're becoming very popular, especially as you go yeah. on Instagram, you see you know all these people have snooze and it's for a lot of people, it's just unrealistic that they aren't yeah. going to be able to afford that. And I didn't even ever think about the whole thing like you said about kind of weaning them out of it because that is true. I mean it is something that's always kind of rocking them and when they cry, it's instantly they're responding to that cry. So trying to get them out of the snoo then is is gonna be a little bit of a challenge.
1: Yeah. And for some babies, it's not a big deal. Some kids do transition no problem to their crib when it's time. But um, I would say at least once a week, if not more, we hear from somebody who says that they can't get their baby out of it. They just will not sleep in their crib. And that's really hard to deal with, to feel like you had a baby who is a great sleeper and now it's time to move them into their crib and you just can't do it. So, um, I just tell parents, I think that you can learn to teach your baby to sleep. You can learn all the tips and tricks without the snoo and save yourself a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's great input. All right. So the next question, do newborns need a very strict schedule for sleeping? Well, this is a
1: great question. So I think one of the things that's most important in those first few weeks, especially if you're a first time mom is just getting to know your baby and enjoying them. I like to tell parents when you're ready for a routine is a time when it's time to start it with your baby and it doesn't have to be a super strict schedule, but you do start to want to have a routine. I tell people One of the best things that you can do to make your life more more manageable is to start your day at the same time every day, you know, when they wake them up at 7am or wake them up at a time that you've decided every day, um, just to start their day. And it will start to fall into a pretty predictable pattern. They don't need a super strict schedule. And one thing that I always tell moms of newborns is to make sure that you are also holding your baby a lot during the day. There's just only a short period of time that they want to sleep and snuggle with you. And you do want to practice with them sleeping in the crib or a bassinet where they're going to be flat on their back. But you also want to make sure that you leave plenty of time for you and that baby snuggling on the couch and you're not going to hurt anything. You're not going to spoil them or ruin their sleep if you hold them for some of their naps.
0: Yeah. I love that. I always tell moms, you can never spoil a newborn. It's just, it's not not possible. You can't. (laughs) All right. So how do you get babies to sleep with acid reflux? Oh, this is a good question.
1: So I had one of my sons had really severe reflux and the other two had to some degree. Um, So I love talking about reflux. There is a lot of misinformation out there that like, if your baby has reflux, you're not going to get any sleep. And that's not true. Actually, my reflux babies tend to be some of my best sleepers because once you can get them sleeping and getting a good stretch of sleep, their body really enjoys their stomach being empty and that acid reflux not bubbling up. So um, in the beginning, about the first month, it can be helpful to prop their crib or their bassinet up at one end, just a couple of inches. I just put some books under the end to prop it up a little bit. um, And it helps to keep their body just slightly elevated to keep all that milk in their stomach. Um, I always tell people if you suspect reflux or it's really starting to impact your life to absolutely talk to your pediatrician about it. See what they say. If you need to try medication or anything like that, that's a conversation for the pediatrician. But once it's managed enough, um, you want to think about things like holding them upright for a bit after you feed them, getting a really good burp. You don't want to have anything in the crib with them. But in that first month, if you have the end kind of propped up, that can be helpful. Um, And also just making sure that you soothe and settle them um, by putting pressure on their stomach. Most reflux babies respond really well to a little bit of pressure on their stomach. So even holding them in your um, arm, your hand kind of football hold where their belly is against your arm. That's really helpful. And when they can roll, don't do this for them, but once they can roll to their stomach, most babies with reflux tend to prefer sleeping that way.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. That sounds like what I do when I have acid reflux. I yeah. try to fall asleep sitting straight up if I can. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah, that was great practical tips. And I didn't know about that whole, like kind of putting a little bit of pressure on their abdomen and everything like that.
1: Yeah, just enough. It, the, suck, the pressure is really soothing. And the other thing that's super soothing is sucking. So if your baby has reflux and they're seeming to reject the pacifier, um, I always tell parents, you know, tongue thrusting and gagging, those are reflexes, reflexes that our babies are born with. And so don't take that as a sign that they hate the pacifier. Try to get them to use the pacifier because they probably will like it. And it probably will help their stomach feel better.
0: Right. Gotcha. So when do you recommend stopping waking up the baby to eat during sleep? This, yeah, good question. So this
1: is a question typically for a pediatrician. Um, I tell people most of the time, if your baby is gaining weight or has gotten back to their birth weight, the pediatrician is fine with you letting them go one four hour stretch, but you always want to check with your doctor and make sure there's nothing that they're kind of keeping an eye on. Um, but the good thing is you have lots of doctor's appointments in the beginning. So you have plenty of opportunities to ask them if you still need to be waking them up.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. So a little bit more kind of dependent on each person and their baby and um, yeah. their waking. Yeah. Do you have any sleep tips to prevent sudden infant death syndrome? So this is really, it's, a, it's just a
1: hard topic, but the best things that you can do are make sure that they're sleeping in a flat space. there's nothing for them so a crib or bassinet without bumpers or blankets or stuffed animals Um, the swaddle is velcroed or zipped up so they cannot it's not a loose blanket pacifier is okay and a pacifier is actually encouraged to prevent sids because when they roll it gives a little bit of space between their face and the mattress making sure they have a really firm mattress Um, if you're using a pack and play especially not putting a mattress topper on there Um, And then one of the things that the AAP recommends is room sharing for six months to a year, so that they are in your room and that's a really personal decision for parents and every family decides differently but that is one of their recommendations.
0: Yeah, that's great. That is a lot of um, what we do before we send our moms home. Is a lot of our discharge teaching. I really ha- try to focus heavily on this, just because I cannot tell you how many times, being a RN in the hospital, I come into rooms and you know babies are either asleep on on mom or in bed next to mom, or on the couch next to the dad, or they're in the bassinet. But there's like um, they. Ha- people bring in like those really plush blankets all the time. And so they'll, it'll be baby swaddled and then the plush blanket over the baby. And I always really harp heavily on, you know, on their back, nothing in the crib. I always say if you're going to use like um, bumpers or anything like that, they need to be completely breathable. And yeah, it's, it's definitely something that is super easy to prevent, you know, when you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly.
1: And one of the things that parents don't um, think about, but has been, research has shown that people who room share or bed share are often more likely to engage in unsafe sleep practices because the baby's right there and they figure, oh, if something's wrong, I would wake up. Um, And that's not the case if you read about these um, SIDS cases. So just making sure they're on their back, there's nothing in the crib, all of that stuff, save all of the soft things for when they get older.
0: Yeah. No stuffed animals, no free blankets, nothing like that. They don't need it right now. And yeah, I always, and I know, again, this is kind of like what you said, um, you know, every family is going to find out what works for them the best, but it's also, you know, you, you really have to research and think heavily on co-sleeping, which I'm assuming that's kind of what you said, bed sharing, same thing as co-sleeping. If that's something that you want to do, because there are some people, you know, in the hospital and I, in the hospital, we say it's, actually the hospital rule, like you can't sleep with your baby. And I have moms all the time tell me, well, I'm going to do it 24 seven when I get home anyway. And that's like, you know, whatever works best for you. But the biggest thing is just making sure that whatever you choose, whether it's your baby in their own room or in your room or in your bed, that you are just being extremely safe about it and just doing your own research.
1: Yes, exactly. You want to be super safe. Um, We do say that we will not work with families until they're ready to move the baby out of their bed. Um, safety is obviously one of the, our top priority, but also um, if you're really wanting to work on your baby sleeping and not eating all night, it's very confusing to the baby. If their food source is right next to them and you're saying, no, you can't eat. Um, So we always tell parents, you know, when you're ready to move them to their own space, that's when we'll start to work with you just because having that separation between eating time and sleeping time is really important for the way that
0: we work. Yeah. I agree with that. That makes complete sense. All right. So the next question is, should I use a pacifier? And should I even use a pacifier if I'm breastfeeding to help with sleep?
1: Yeah, I am a huge fan of the pacifier. I mentioned that it helps with reflux, it definitely does. Um, it helps soothe their stomach. And a lot of times, especially if you're breastfeeding, it is very easy to fall into the idea of thinking that, oh, I need, they're crying, I need to nurse them. Or I know that nursing will calm them down. Or I know that a bottle is going to calm them down. And it is great to have something in your back pocket to be able to give them that's going to um, hit the same reflex, but it's not feeding them. And for a reflux baby, especially, you know, if milk gives them reflux, We don't want to give them more milk to calm them down when they're upset because of the reflux. So I am a huge fan of it. Also, it is something that they can do that helps them just soothe and settle down. Um, Now, I mentioned this before, tongue thrusting and gagging are primitive reflexes that our babies are born with. It's not necessarily a sign of that they don't like the passive. So what I do tell parents is how to teach your baby to take the pacifier. You can rub it around their mouth like rub it on their lips um see if you can get them to open their mouth and then once they do start to put the passy in there kind of rub it on the front to the middle of their tongue you don't want to go too far back that can cause the gagging but just kind of rub it and work with them on Um, getting the pacifier in there. And then as far as breastfeeding, I know in the hospital, even with my own, they were like, you cannot give them a pacifier if you're gonna breastfeed. Um, And I did the second I got home or after my first I wise step and brought my own pacifiers to the hospital. So I do not think that there is really (laughs) any correlation between refusing to breastfeed and passing. Um, And I have read a lot of articles that really support that. I think that it supports great, safe, independent sleep. So I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. I like how you did say that about the breastfeeding thing. And we are, we are told, you know, don't give, don't give out pacifiers. It's, it's part of the more like baby friendly initiative that a lot of hospitals switch to, um, which promotes, you know, rooming in no use of the nursery necessarily. Like we don't, we used to take babies out at night and put them in the nursery all night. We don't do that anymore. It's promotion of breastfeeding. Um, so, you know, very limited pacifiers. Um, so yeah, but I, I do agree. And, um, I will say I, I will give out pacifiers. If I know that my mom is breastfeeding well and she's breastfeeding every two to three hours, I'm fine with them having a pacifier, especially if baby's a little bit fussy or is having that reflux. Like you said, I do elevate the bassinet and I give them a pacifier. And the biggest thing I think with breastfeeding and pacifiers is just to make sure that you're not using the pacifier to skip a feeding, if that makes sense. So that's when I get cautious with giving pacifiers is sometimes baby's really hungry and they haven't eaten in about three hours and they're, they're smacking their lips and stuff. And mom might be really tired and just put the pacifier in the mouth. And that's more so I think where I become very cautious with pacifier uses and breastfeeding, but I agree with you. And as you said, you've done research on it, that it doesn't, there's no correlation necessarily with pacifier use. And then that whole like nipple confusion, refusing to breastfeed.
1: Yes, exactly. I think that's a great point. And something that is just important for newborn moms to know, especially if it's your first time, You got to feed them a lot. And if you skip those feeds during the day because you're exhausted, they're going to wake up for them at night. So you never want to use a pacifier or really any form of soothing to skip a feed. If they are not eating every two and a half, two even to three hours, um, then you're going to have a hungry baby. And it is exhausting during the day, but it's more exhausting when you can't get any sleep at night. So I just use the passive for soothing after, you know, they've gotten that good full feed and then not using it at all. If you're trying to skip a feed or hold them off,
0: that's yep, not the right I way. I agree. So this next question, I honestly don't know even what this really means, but it just says witching hour question mark. <laughs> I'm assuming I know something, something with like folklore. I don't know. I'll let you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So from my, the way I describe the witching hour is just and usually it's in the late afternoon, early evening where your baby is just not happy. Um, there can be a lot of reasons for this. And I think it changes as your baby gets older. So a newborn, they are probably just overtired. They might be hungry if they didn't get great feeds or they're just, they're just done. Babies, babies all the way till a first year can really only handle a 12 hour day. So if even for a newborn, by the time they've been quote awake for eight or nine hours, even though they've gotten naps in there, they weren't awake that whole time. Um, it they're just pretty much done. They are tired. And so I tell parents in the afternoons, put your baby in a baby carrier, you know, sit on the couch. If you only have one child or it's it's an option for you at other times, sit on the couch, let them snuggle with you um, and watch something on TV. You know, just let your baby sleep on you, whatever it takes to get them really, really good naps at that time is really helpful. Um, other babies, this is where reflux sort of starts to show up. They've eaten all day and they're having a hard time um, with digesting it. And so you just want to get them really comfortable. I think a baby carrier or a baby wrap is ideal for this time of day and just making sure that you're not pushing them to stay awake. We do not need to push babies to stay awake. It's just going to make their sleep worse. If they're acting tired, get them some sleep.
0: All right. That's good. And what about white noise? Do you think that white noise is helpful? Yes, totally.
1: Um, one of the biggest reasons is that it In your belly, it's not quiet. And researchers actually estimate that the level of the sound is about 90 decibels, which is like a lawnmower or a really loud vacuum. So when we bring the baby into the world and we lay them down and it's in their room and it's really quiet, that's very jarring to them in the same way that in your belly, they were moving around a lot when when you're walking. And so when we just lay them flat in their crib, they're kind of like, hey, what's going on? So white noise really helps simulate what was going on before they came out. It also helps to block out any background noise. I am a firm believer that baby joins your family. Your family doesn't revolve around the baby. And white noise is a great way to make sure the rest of your family doesn't have to tiptoe around because the baby's sleeping. Um, Just turn on that sound machine and everybody can kind of go about their business.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely think that white noise can be extremely helpful. I know even like adults, I mean, we buy white noise machines for ourselves. So imagine how much more it can help with baby, especially when you have a newborn who's sleeping so much and kind of at such, not necessarily random, but you know, in the middle of the day, throughout the middle of the day, it can really help. So you don't have to tiptoe around and be extremely quiet.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And sometimes I get pushed back on white noise, you know, saying, well, I want him to be able to sleep anywhere or how am I going to wean him off of it? And my response to that is, well, white noise machines are white noise machines are very portable. You can always just get one with batteries and bring it along wherever you're going, so it's not a big deal to me to bring it anywhere and take it wherever you're going. Um, but secondly, if you want to wean your child off of white noise, if you feel like they are just old enough, they're a great sleeper, you don't want to use it anymore. You can just start turning the volume down little by little every night until it's super low. And they will just wean off of that pretty easily. My seven-year-old, he still sleeps with white noise, but he doesn't need it at all. Some nights he doesn't turn it on. He just doesn't, he doesn't care for it. I mainly keep encouraging it because whenever we're away from home, he has to share a room with his younger brothers who sleep with it. So I don't want him to get used to sleeping in total silence all the time.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. Kind of turning it down and weaning him off of it. So that was the last listener question I have. Is there anything else that you want to add or specifically touch on? Um, No, I
1: mean, I think the most, the biggest message that we want to get to moms, especially with newborns is just that it doesn't have to be um, an exhausting, miserable time. And if you're feeling that way, that I really encourage you to reach out, whether that's reaching out to your doctor to talk about PPA or PPD or reaching out to the pediatrician to make sure nothing's going on or reaching out to somebody like us um, to help with some strategies on how to help your baby sleep better it does not have to be exhausting we like to think about ourselves as just your friend who knows a lot about sleep who's going to encourage you and give you a plan for how to get your baby sleeping well yes newborns have to sleep a lot during the day they've got to eat a lot and it's a lot to juggle But if you have a plan and you know what to expect, it really can be a really awesome time. And my goal is that families get to enjoy their babies, um, newborn up until, you know, toddler and childhood. Um, I really want families to enjoy each other. And if that's not happening and you're exhausted and miserable, let's talk about how we can make some changes so that life is better for all of you.
0: Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like I just had a sleep consult. Like I feel like I just learned so much. So well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you, find your company and how to get information, get in contact with you. Yeah, we have our
1: super active social media. We are always giving away tons of tips. And for all your moms who have new babies, um, one of the girls who works with me, Abby Sharp, she just had a baby six weeks ago. So we are full of newborn content these days and lots of day in the life of what it looks like to have a newborn. Um, and our handle for Instagram is sleepbabyconsulting. It's the same for Facebook. And then our website is www.sleepbabyconsulting.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know I did, and I learned so much from Elizabeth about newborn sleep and how to maximize your sleep with a newborn. Like she said, you can find Elizabeth and her team over at at Sleep Baby Consulting on Instagram. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at What the Bump Podcast. I also now have a Facebook group. It's just What the Bump Podcast on Facebook. Search it in the groups, and please join the Facebook group. I am going to be posting in there things about the podcast, updates on the pod when I have guests, I will post in there and you will be able to basically submit any question that you want to ask the guest for the podcast. So thank you guys for tuning into this episode and I will see you next Monday. And of course, I know you all probably know this, but I have to add it in. I make every effort to broadcast correct information through this podcast, but I am still learning so much. So I am in no way providing medical advice through this podcast, just sharing the things that myself and others have experienced or learned. Make sure to consult your physician before taking anything from this podcast and changing your health. This applies to any guests or contributors that I also have on this podcast. Thank you. And I will see you next week.